Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is so exciting to be here. I'm John Carousella, host of Convergence and a Shamanic Life on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. And today we have a very special show. I will be joined by many of our co-hosts here on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, including the inestimable Mildred Lynn McDonald. Mildred Lynn, are you there? Here, John, I'm laughing. <laughs> what? I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I was going to say, of course, you must agree that, that you're inestimable. <laughs> I take everything as a compliment, even if I don't understand what it means. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here we are. We are um, largely thanks to your inspiration. Uh, here we are, two years into this project. What do you what do you make of that? Well, I, I really think it's a combination of things, and I remember when I contacted you and Hi C and Deb originally with the idea to hit the airwaves and I know we all kind of were a little hesitant and had different reactions. The well mostly because we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> yes. And I, I did guarantee that you would be thrilled to be working with me. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one guarantee, ladies and gentlemen, that we would that be was, thrilled. Yeah. One one guarantee and also nice hot cups of tea. To me, it, it was an opportunity that was presented, and we all leaped in. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. We knew it was in integrity with where we were going, and it was a great example of proceeding with trust and proceeding with, um, what's the word now, John? You can help me. Proceeding with a deep feeling that we were feeling a real need. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. So after two, yeah, so after two years, I'm just so amazed and so proud of us. And I believe I shared before that when I look back at the last two years, it feels like we are, we've all done something meaningful. You know, I have to say that um, as uncertain as we were at the beginning of this whole project, um, about what it was for, you know, like, why were we doing it? It has felt like, I agree, it's felt like a worthy um, exercise, a worthy endeavor. And I feel really, I feel good that we, the, the connections that I've made and the friends that I've made, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to share a bunch of content from the, from the last two years. And, you know, we've covered some really interesting topics, and we've had a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, what else can you ask for from a vocation, really? You know? Yeah, so, and not to, mention, not to mention we've had almost 80,000 downloads or listens to the show, which, of course, we all just go, oh, my heavens, can you believe it? Can you imagine a stadium full of people? <laughs> That's a lot. That's a big number. Uh, it's, it's really fun, though. So, um, you know, I think I want to do – I'm going to bring in um, – one of our other uh, special Firefly Willows folks, uh, Deb Carousella. Deb, are you there? Hello, I'm here. Good morning. Um, Good morning. How are you all? 
uh, <laughs> crazy as usual. <laughs> yes, they're they're in fine form this morning. <laughs> well, Deb, I wanted to ask you or invite you, if you would. Um, we're we're just chatting here a bit about the content that we're going to share. You selected from um, our archives. You selected the roundtable on joy. I did. And uh, maybe just share a little bit about why that particular roundtable caught your attention and you wanted to share it again. Well, the last eight months or so of my life have been um, a little bit difficult. Uh, There's been major change and restructuring, and a lot has been happening. And it creates a a very unsettled feeling. And as I was going back and forth and, and thinking of the different things that we've offered to people and talked about over the years, um, I came across the roundtable about joy that was on one of High C's revolution shows. And it just struck me that there are so many people in this life and in this world that find themselves in situations similar to the one that I'm in at the moment. And no matter where you are, no matter what's happening in your life, joy is something that is so intrinsic and so internal to everyone that it's, it's never, it can never be taken away from you. And I think it's our internal way of allowing us to know that we are still connected, no matter how unhappy we feel or no matter how stressed we are or, no, or unsure of what the future may be, we will still find joy in things if we allow ourselves to be open to it. And that allows us to know that we're not alone and that we are connected and that um, sunshine is still available no matter <laughs> what's going on. That's great. Okay, well, without further ado, and we'll, we'll bring in our other hosts after this roundtable, let's listen to our roundtable on joy. Okay, hope everybody enjoys. So welcome everyone today to our weekly roundtable. I'm here in Studio C, live from Los Altos, joined by Mildred Lynn McDonald, Hello. John Carousella, and Deb Carousella. Good morning. And our topic today is hopefully something that will, if nothing else, bring a smile to our face. We're going to talk about joy. What is it? What can we do to cultivate it? How is it that we can express joy in our lives, and how do we know when we're in joy? Or what gets in the way of us being able to fully experience and live in joy? For me, I, you know, one of the things I think of, of course, because I work with the Tarot, is joy is the sun card. And the sun card is just about letting whatever is within us shine forth out into the world fully and completely without any barrier, any judgment, any limitation to its expression. So who we are is what the world sees. It's like being naked in front of the world. And who likes us, who loves us for that, we're extremely appreciative and grateful for. And who doesn't, we don't worry about. That isn't our, that, that's not what our joy is dependent on, the validation and acceptance of others. So I'm curious what you might think of when you think of the word joy, when you think of what it means to feel or express joy, and how we can best live our lives in a state of joy. What, what you said in um, your introductory comment about the sun card and, and, in a sense, being naked in the world, it reminds me of the ecstatic Persian poets, Hafez, Rumi, and I think there was also a woman poet who wrote about this very thing of, 
you you know you are one with God when you are willing to run into the middle of the town and stand in the street naked. Imagine being that, willing to be wholly visible and completely yourself, that you would actually do that. You're so ecstatic with confidence that you and your Creator are together. You're, that you're so confident that the Creator loves you that you're willing to be completely exposed. And the nice policeman on the corner loves you too. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, but I think that it speaks to a word that is defined in different ways, which is freedom. Because it's, it's feeling the freedom to do that, to run into the middle of town, to expose yourself in that way. Then there are man-made freedoms, which are very different than true freedom. And I think joy is a reflection of internal freedom, where we have freed ourselves to be ourselves in the world, rather than basing who we are and what we do on what other people say, think, how they do or don't validate or accept us. And, and, and from that, I'm wondering what you might also think of would be the difference, if you think there is one, between happiness and joy. Well, I, I think about happiness as being an aspect of joy. Somehow joy is a deeper place, a, a deeper expression of, uh, I don't know, a deeper expression of happiness, a, a deeper expression of that, of that ecstatic feeling of things are good, things are right, things are right for me, things are right with the world and between me and the world. One can, one can find joy even in, in circumstances of tragedy, whereas I don't necessarily think one would say that you would find happiness in circumstances of tragedy. I know when I first started to do energy work, I explored the concept of joy a little bit. And when I go inside and meditate or do a visualization, the question came up a lot, why am I here? What is my purpose? And I'm sure many, many people ask the same thing. I'm not unusual in that aspect. And time after time, what would come up for me is, you're here to experience the joy of being alive. And every way I asked that question about other people or myself, and I tried many different angles, it always came out to the same thing. You're here to experience the joy of being alive. So that left me with an, a wide open canvas to start exploring, you know, what, what joy meant to me or means to me and where joy lived in my body and how I expressed joy and all those things. It was a cornucopia of endless hours of reflection that I'll not bore everybody with it right now. <laughs> but it seems to be something very fundamental to the human condition. From from me personally, um, happiness, I find, as John mentioned earlier, is something a little bit more fleeting. It's something that's a little bit more dependent upon outside circumstances or uh, events. Joy I find for myself to be very simple and very serene, that it doesn't require a lot of bells and whistles for me to find joy. Joy is usually quiet and not without intensity, but it is something that is very internal and it's a response, it's a deep response to something as simple as the way the light plays across the clouds or seeing a kid throwing a ball and his dog running across the field, ears flapping in the wind. Uh, that's joyful to me. And it not only does it bring a sense of joy and connectedness within me, 
just seeing the purity of the joy of the interaction between the child and their dog is very simple and very complete, very fulfilling. Do you think we're hardwired in some ways as a collective to experience joy? I think that, yes, we are. I don't think that we all always allow ourselves to. I think we create many, many reasons and scenarios not to experience joy. There has to be a formula, or we have to have we have ha- have to meet certain goals, or we have to have certain things in order to f- be joyful. You know, if you don't have this, 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 and this, well, how can you be joyful? Uh, that's they're not necessary. Being aware of who you are, being comfortable with who you are, experiencing the serenity of just being, and allowing the goodness of just being and, and the others and the other beings around you um, can be very, very joyful and fills you with joy. So for me, joy is quiet, joy is simple, and it's very filling. It's, it's a, a, sense, a sense of fullness. I heard a quote, I can't remember who, who it should be attributed to. It goes like this, joy is your soul's message to you that you're doing the right thing or that you're you're mm-hmm. in the right place in the world mm-hmm. or something like that. Well, and that makes me think of a way that when I think of the word joy, I think of the letters representing just own yourself. Mm. And that means it comes from within me, my joy, and I'm not trying to own someone or something else by saying, I need you to be this way for me to be joyful. Mm-hmm. Really what we would say is, I need you to be this way for me to be happy, which again is very different than joy. Mm-hmm. And if you just own yourself, it says, I only focus on who I need to be, what I am here to do in the world, and making myself the best I can be. Because you can find joy anywhere you look for it if you make the conscious effort. And when you start looking for it, and more importantly, when you start living in joy, you'll find that your world is surrounded by things that are joyful or support joy or that you attract joy into your life. You know, one of the things where that's it might be easier to find and to experience joy is out in nature. Because in nature, there isn't a lot of judgment. There isn't a lot of self judgment there isn't a lot of judging of others whereas in human human culture and human society we have so many wounds and um, so many structures that don't serve us well that we are constantly in this place of being irritated but when you're out in the woods by yourself the only set of obstacles you have to overcome are your internal ones and, and to shed your judgments about yourself or your sense of need or whatever and to just be out there in nature seems to me to be a place where joy is very readily experienced for me. Well, I'm going to challenge that in some way. Because one, I'm going to say that, and it goes back to something Mildred had mentioned earlier, sometimes I think we fall into the trap of we think that in order for us to experience joy, we see how someone else is experiencing or found joy. And now if we can do that, then I will experience joy rather than finding joy in our own way. And being in nature, I would say you don't have to be anywhere to be in joy because you can be in joy anywhere you are, whether that's in the woods or whether that's in a prison cell. You can be in joy. Now, you may not be happy that you're in a prison cell, but you can still be in joy 
being in the prison cell rather than saying, well, I would be joyful or I would be experiencing joy if I was in the woods rather than this prison cell because joy isn't dependent on that. Joy comes from that core of ourselves. And I think the collective part, the collective hardwiring can be seen, and this probably sounds silly, in posts that people make to Facebook. If somebody posts a picture saying, here's a picture of the couch I just ordered for my living room, well, people can look at it and oh, that's pretty, you know, or whatever, but it may say nothing to me. And so it's like, well, good for them for finding a couch they wanted. I'm glad they're happy with it. There's that word. Mm -hmm. However, if somebody is, uh, say, out on the beach and they post a picture of a sunset at the beach that they just saw, when other people seeing that on Facebook see that same picture of the sunset, it evokes that same kind of, oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, you know, it takes me there. It's not, oh, I'm glad you got to see that sunset, but it doesn't do anything for me. Versus there seems to be a more visceral kind of response, which I think speaks to the hard wiring of the ability to experience joy as a collective versus happiness, which maybe is a more individual experience depending on individual circumstance or surrounding or something like that. It's interesting how you hear people say, I just want to be happy or I'll be happy when. You don't hear as much people saying, I just want to be joyful. I'll be joyful when. True. Yeah, because if you actually say those words, I think it triggers an understanding that you actually can be joyful anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, joy seems to be outside of time and space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and if joy arises from you versus happiness being somehow dependent on something else, mm -hmm. then if you say, I just want to be happy, you can say, I'm not happy because of, and be able to make it an external reason, excuse, or justification that you're not happy. If you say, I want to be joyful, and you're not, you're forced to have to look at, well, then what is it about me and what I'm doing or not doing or causing myself to be that keeps me from being in joy? And people don't want to have to go to the hard work of looking in themselves and doing what they need to do because I'd rather just be happy, which means as long as the external circumstances can meet my criteria, and then if they don't, well, then it's all their fault mm -hmm. that I'm not happy. Is there a capitulation in giving up the desire to will reality into a shape that makes you happy and instead going inward and saying, I will experience joy regardless of the external circumstances? It feels like a surrender. It feels like the words of Viktor Frankl. Well, when everything else is taken away, a man has the choice, or a woman has the choice, to determine what that means. What they, they choose to make something mean whatever. That's mm. their choice. So you have a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that people are always looking for happiness, but we often get stuck in, what do I need to do mm -hmm. to be happy? And so maybe if I do this, maybe if I do this, and whether it's maybe if I buy this house or whether it's maybe if I take this workshop on, you know, um, soul retrieval. But it's always about what do I need to do to be happy? And joy, I think, is the lack of doing. It's when we learn to let go of trying or needing to do versus allowing ourselves to simply be. Mm -hmm. And it's when we stop and simply be that we can allow for and feel joy emerging, which isn't necessarily without its challenges because that might still bring up the things that we ourselves are doing or causing to get in the way of that joy being right. able to fully come 
through and be expressed in ourselves and in our lives. But it's when we stop doing or trying so hard to seek out or to grasp happiness or what we think will make us happy that joy now has a place to come in and fill. You know, there's, so this reminds me of our cherry tree in front of our home. When that cherry tree is in bloom, I feel like the cherry tree is experiencing joy. And when that cherry tree is in full fruit and those cherries are so bright red and juicy, I feel like the cherry tree is experiencing joy. It's like there's joy in the cherry. So, and of course, when I hold the cherry in my hand, I experience joy because somehow I'm, I'm in communion with the joy that is the cherry that, that is in the cherry and the that is in the cherry tree. The, the tree. beingness of the tree. I, I love it. It makes me feel. It it evokes in me a transcendent feeling of joy. And, and to me, I think that's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a personal thing. Joy is transpersonal, and what you're experiencing is transpersonal because you're connecting and resonating with the joy that the cherry tree is expressing and experiencing, and then it's now resonating with you, and you're experiencing that joy as well. Mm. That's that's because I've gone beyond my personal self, which would say, well, I don't know what a cherry tree feels, so how could I possibly experience what it's feeling? And where does where does joy resonate in the body? Yeah, I feel it. I feel it in my second, third, and fourth chakras mostly. And then when it's when it's really fully fully mm-hmm. resonating, then I, then it moves up into my throat as well. Really? Right? Yeah, oh, because wow. because uh, one of the clearest ways for me to know that I'm in joy. Well, well I can I can I know that I'm jubilant when I'm making music, okay. when I'm singing or or playing music it makes me joy. And I th- see because I think that for me I would say third fourth chakra as well, which is kind of solar plexus and heart, and and probably the heart ultimately is the seat of joy if you think of the heart being the center because i think joy resides in our core that's why we always want to center and come back to our core self and be in stillness when we have all sorts of things going on if we want to come back to that place of joy and then it comes up to your throat because once we've experienced it within ourselves it wants to be expressed Mm -hmm. i find it's in my my third and fourth chakra and it also gives me a sense of taking my breath away Mm. it's like (gasps) That, but it's ongoing. <laughs> it's a state of awe. Yeah. Right. Joy and awe. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, joy is not something you experience intellectually. Joy isn't something you experience in your in your head. You experience it in the center of who you are. And typically for humans, that is our core. That is the heart area. And joy, rather than song, for me would be laughter. Just the uninhibited open-hearted laugh of just joy thank you everyone for being here and engaging in this and may you all have a a joyful week (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) icy and if, if you have any thoughts on joy and what it means to you or what the experience of joy is Feel free to continue this conversation on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fireflywillows. As we finish today, John is going to play us out. Pretty silly. <laughs> so uh, that was that was uh, our roundtable on joy, and. Um,
What do you guys think of that? How, how might we offer that to our, what, what can we share with our listeners that, uh, to take the takeaway from that roundtable? Well, John, it's Bill Dritlin speaking. And from a logistics perspective, I just realized that along with the Joy Roundtable, we have done probably about 100 roundtables, which are each 15-minute snippets that we start each. No, maybe that's too many. Is that too many? 52 weeks plus 52 weeks? Yeah, that's... Well, well, that's not that's this is Deb. Um, our fourth... Sunday show, which is usually our um, live on-air call-in shows, do not have roundtables with them usually. So you you really should count um, three per. Uh, it's not a full yeah. two weeks. It's a third, uh, three quarters of that. Okay, so we're working right. towards a hundred. But the beauty in them is that each Sunday, except for the call-in shows, for our listeners, we tackle a theme or a topic. And from my perspective, these can be used as learning tools, exploration tools, inspiration tools, and they can also be shared with people who are going through situations or just as a refresher for yourself because as we all know, the situations keep coming around and around again. So that's what I wanted to throw in there for ourselves and also for our listeners. Great. All right, so um, we're going to take a, a, just a short musical break, and then we'll be right back, and we'll talk with a couple more of our hosts. So we'll be right back. song called Summer Solstice by uh, a woman named Gentle Thunder. And I, uh, one of the things that I really love about um, the work that we're doing is the, the amazing number of cool people that we get to meet. And um, in the shamanic life, I have a segment, Spirit, Muse, and Song, where I got to meet, have gotten to meet and talk to and, and share the music of many wonderful musical artists. So the musical breaks, many of the musical breaks we'll be doing today during today's show will be from uh, Spirit, Muse, and Song. So on, on that note, um, in terms of meeting interesting and wonderful people, I want to bring into the conversation um, Dr. Glenna Calder, who's the host, along with Mildred Lynn McDonald, of What's Your Prescription for Balance? Good morning, Glenna. Good morning, John. 
uh, and um, Robin Lisney, who is yeah. the host of Evolve. Hey, Robin. Hey. Hi, John. How are you? Hi, everybody. And, <laughs> and, and of course, Hi C. Lutmers has joined us. Hi C. are you there? I am. Hello. Uh, all right. So um, now, so Glenna and Robin uh, and uh, Glenna and Robin host shows that were that were new additions to to the Firefly Willows Live uh, channel program, uh, as well as I see your show that you host with Charlie Harrington. It um, is true. The Amethyst. We're going to play uh, a clip from Amethystorical. Do you want to introduce this clip? It's a, it's about predictions. <laughs> well, on the show in general, we tend to try to. Um, feature guests and techniques that have to do with um, anything divination or oracle related. Um, oftentimes it's tarot related, but we tend to have a much broader uh, spectrum of things that we try to do. We've had people on there talking about things like talking boards, which we also might know as Ouija boards. Um, we've had someone on talking about ancient Egyptian divination that actually are techniques that are still done today. Um, we had someone on talking about some of the divination techniques with bones and things um, from some of the African traditions. So we do try to cover a broad range of things. Uh, And one of those tools in the divination oracle realm is astrology. And one of our guests was uh, astrologer Tino Kalenda, and we had him on at the end of the year, uh, last year in December. Um, And we chose this clip because actually it's the information is still very relevant for people, um, but it just shows, we, we try to have a little fun on the show. We don't always take everything quite so seriously, even though the information <laughs> itself is serious. Uh, and so this was just a sample of uh, kind of the, the, the mood uh, of our show and the, the way that we kind of approach things, as well as there's a lot of just general good information, astrologically speaking, about 2014 as a year overall. So we thought we'd give both things, not just a little sample of the show, but also some information that is still relevant and people could use or might want to know about in order to start planning for the year. All right. Okay, so without further ado, from the Amethyst Historical Predictions for 2014. And speaking of the new year, we're doing something a little bit different for this show because we're finishing up a year, preparing to move into a new calendar year, We're almost at winter solstice, which is also the idea of kind of the return of the sun, S-U-N, for all those people out there who might have been religiously minded. Um, And this sense of a new cycle, birthing anew. And so we have decided to take a little bit of an astrological peek into 2014 and maybe let people know what is in store for their signs as they contemplate how to plan, what to prepare for, what to get lubed up for in 2014. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in order to bring as much astrological starry goodness as possible, we've taken on a third. It's true. We're now a triad for this show. We're we're thruple. Yeah. We thought we'd invite (laughs) people in to experience our little group action here. And so we would like to welcome to the show astrologer extraordinaire Tino Kalenda. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Tino. How are you? I'm good. 
we have invited you on, Tino, not to just let people know what's coming up for them astrologically, but so that you can just lay it out there for them what they need to hear, whether they are ready to hear it or not. Right, right. That's always important. Well, as long as they're coming. Right. There's no safety word for this astrological inf- astrological information. So. That's right. <laughs> so even if you even if you turn away from listening, we're still going to be coming and coming and coming at you with more and more information. <laughs> Glad my parents don't listen to this show. <laughs> my parents probably do, but they'd get a kick. That's right. <laughs> and and we're 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 just going to build this just so people know. We're going to build this as Tino's tawdry, trashy, tantalizing, but always tasteful, all tea, no shade, queer astrology for 2014. Batteries not included. I'm clearly not paying you enough to do my PR. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We can always exchange services. What's good is money these days. Um, so, perhaps... The first thing you could do, Tino, is maybe just give us a quick little overview of 2014 astrologically, some of the big weather systems, astrologically speaking, that we might be looking forward to, or (laughs) at least having to prepare for. (laughs) Most definitely. 2014 is going to shape up to be a fairly pivotal year, not just astrologically, but in many, many ways, I'm sure. For instance, this is one of the very big turning point years um, that we're going to see in terms of the big climate change debate, as we're only one year away from one of the critical tipping points. That said, um, that actually leads nicely into what the astrological weather will be like for 2014. Um, Since about 2011, we've been experiencing the repeated contact of Pluto-Uranus squares that have definitely been creating some chaos in the world, for sure. Just to give you an idea, if the 60s saw the conjunction of the Pluto-Uranus triad, uh, which exploded in the Cultural Revolution that we saw then, we can only imagine that this is similar to the other shoe dropping. Uh, Historically, the last Uranus-Pluto squares prior to the 1960s were in the 30s, and we saw a great deal of upheaval during that period, everything from the Great Depression, which of course led into World War II. In essence, the astrological weather for 2014 has indications of two exact Uranus-Pluto squares occurring first on April 21st, 2014, so we'll have a nice little entree the spring. Oh, shit, right off my, after my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Culminating, thankfully, there will only be two in the entire year. So the next one will be December 14th of 2014, uh, which will also mark Saturn's later entry into the latter degrees of Scorpio. So those of us going through our Saturn returns will essentially be feeling less of the pressure from that as Saturn's moving into the latter degrees. Um, of course, that will all shift when he retrogrades later at the end of 2014. <laughs> so that's pretty much the biggest overview I can give. Those are pretty much the two major storm cells that are going to become blowing through. Uh, <clears throat> but like a typhoon or a hurricane, they're going to leave aftermaths. 
um, that we're going to be mopping up for months and months. Oh, the cleanup. We can do to prepare for Uranus Pluto Square is well what we're doing right now, which is just making ourselves aware of what's ahead. Um, so there's a clip from uh, Amethyst Oracle. I see. This is a uh, this is a, a show that highlights some of the diversity that we carry on uh, Firefly Willows L I V E. But there's a lot of meat in the uh, as, as well as a lot of uh, gaiety and fun, no pun intended, uh, or pun yeah. intended. <laughs> uh, so when you when you guys um, do you you do the show, um, you bring this kind of divinatory capacity or or technique and make it available to folks. How can they use these things um, sort of as a, as an ongoing resource, the way Mildred Lynn had suggested? Because it's 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 like uh, stuff that's been been talked about in the past for, in theory, circumstances that have already gone past. And I know you shared some of the, your thoughts about this before. I don't know if we've ever shared it on the show. Uh, well, in terms of, like, specifically what was in that clip, um, one of the reasons I chose that particular clip is because he was talking about the uh, Pluto-Uranus square, and one of those key moments is April 21st coming up. Mm, so right. part of part of listening to this information um, is using it to be aware, just like when he referred to kind of the astrological weather pattern for the year. It's kind of like looking at the weather forecast to know what to prepare for, um, you know, making sure that we're going out with our proper tools or our proper attitude or perhaps knowing when not to go out. Um, the same way we would if we saw it was going to rain, we would know to take an umbrella, whereas if it's going to be 100 degrees, we know to go in a T-shirt and shorts. Um right. So that's, that's, especially from an astrological standpoint, but that, that's part of the, the benefit and value of that kind of information is bringing that kind of awareness so that we can be better prepared to act or respond in certain ways rather than to be caught unaware. When we're talking about other tools and other techniques or other ways of working with divination, it's really trying to introduce people to the vast array of things that there are to use out there because not every tool is right for every person, just like some people work well with a computer while other people work well writing with a pen and paper. But hearing what the tools are like and how they're used, there may be something that resonates for someone and they may um, connect with something that either they've never used before or been curious about that they can start using more actively in their own life. And again, using these tools, is really good at helping to get greater insight and information into what's going on or what we need to know about something. Um, it may help to bring focus or clarity. Um, it can help to look at the past sometimes just to kind of understand what is it that um, was the cause or, or what is it that led to what's going on in the present moment. Um, that's more of a learning process because then we might see what to do or what not to do moving forward if we do or don't like what's in the present moment for what not to repeat or what to keep doing. Um, can also help us understand really about what's going on right now so that we can make the best decisions and actions. Um, and so that's that's really our goal is to uh, pro sometimes provide that kind of information depending on the guest like with this clip, but also to introduce people to the different tools and the different ways and the different um, uh, methods of working with them so that people can recognize there's a lot out there to use and work with and maybe 
not feel they have to be so reliant on somebody else doing it for them all the time versus there are ways and it can often be very easy to start using it for yourself, at least on some right. level. Right. And and I think one of the things that we encourage folks to do is um, listen to this, listen to the shows, even the shows, the call-in shows uh, where we do readings, because there's a good chance that you'll hear what you need to hear when you need to hear it. <laughs> it's like, well, that's uh, a very common belief among most readers is that any reading you hear, whether it's for you or for someone else, if you're hearing it, it means there's message or information in it for you as well. So even listening just, you know, to, and sometimes it's helpful because you may be going through a similar relationship situation that somebody calls in about and asks about, and that reading may have some valuable insider information that can apply to yours, even though that wasn't your reading. So, right. It's always valuable. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and uh, listen into another uh, beautiful musician uh, who was on Spirit Muse and Song for Shamanic Life, Liz Addison, and this is Hearts and Bones. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Firefly Willow's LIVE two-year anniversary show, and I'm John Carasella, together with a whole bunch of our co-hosts, High C. Lutmers, Mildred Lynn McDonald, Dr. Glenna Calder, Robin Leisney, and Deb Carasella. And uh, I, uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> I'm just so excited to be sharing this kind of uh, this history of our, our little two-year-old and the diversity of content and ideas that we've been bringing to our audiences. So um, I'd I'd like to introduce uh, the, actually I'd like to ask Dr. Glenna to introduce the next uh, clip. Uh, Dr. Glenna, what do we got coming up from Prescription for Balance? Well, John, can I first take the opportunity to congratulate yourself, Heisey, Deb, and Mildred Lynn, on all the work you've done the past two years? Oh, well, Mildred Lynn, can, can we allow Dr. Glenn to do that? I, I believe we can. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very much, Glenn. Well, congratulations. And I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, oh, it was very easy for me to slide right in based on all the work you four have done in the past two years. And... I also want to mention that, as you just said, your little two-year-old, John, it, my two-year-old is turning two Thursday. My one-year-old oh, is turning two Thursday. <laughs> so I, can, I know what you guys have been through <laughs> and what it looks like to have <laughs> a little two-year-old. So that's kind of neat. Um, but the, the show that I've chosen to highlight today 
it's from it's a show I did with one of my team of experts that I have on regularly, and her name is Coralie Murphy. And the show I chose, it was her third show that she's done with me, is called Transitions. Mm. I we chose that topic because I I think it's Transitions is the the centerpiece on the table of spiritual growth. And to me, it relates to so many different topics of our life, whether um, career, personal, health, I believe, to to growing. So, and Coralie has been through a lot of change. I used to work with her 10 years ago and hadn't spoken or seen her in probably five years because she had been moving all across the country. And when I reconnected with her last year, I was amazed at how much growth she had gone through because of all the, the major changes that have happened in her life. So I thought, who better to speak with on this topic than someone who is, who's gone through it? And she definitely, she talks her walk. She walks her talk, sorry. So yeah, that's why yeah. I chose in this, this segment. Great. All right. Well, let's give a listen. So if it's a safe place and it's scary to change, what's the importance and what's the value of transition? Well, I think it is really essential to understand the role that transition plays in our life. In, in my opinion, it really takes us from one state of being to another. In, in a way, it really acts to elevate our level of consciousness. Because when you embrace change, we are moving in an upward vector. We are growing. And, and that really is essential to moving forward in our lives. Excellent way to put it. I know we spoke about this before, and maybe what we could do now is go through some questions that our viewers might be able to ask themselves so that they can might be able to know if they're, the change they're going through, is it in the right direction for them, and is it in alignment with their highest purpose? One in particular I know that you and I have talked about before was gaining or losing energy, and you had pointed out to me that there is a difference between gaining are losing physical energy versus personal power. So we might lose energy, but we might be gaining in other ways. So can you talk about the difference? For sure. You know, personal power and you know is really a quest. It's a journey. It's something that usually takes time, a lot of self-reflection, and a real sense of knowing who you are. And in that pursuit of, of gaining personal power and understanding who you are and what factors um, propel you forward, it can be exhausting. You know, you can actually lose a little bit of physical energy in the pursuit of gaining personal power. And there is definitely a difference between the two. You know, being fatigued and, and, and working on yourself, that can be a, a draining thing. But oftentimes, like I always say to people, it's, it's so worth the work. It's worth your energy. Because as you gain personal strength and personal power, things in your life begin to change relationships begin to transform, your work situations become transformed, your financial situation changes. So it's certainly worth the work, although it can be exhausting in the pursuit of that. Right. That was really valuable for me because one might think, well, I must not be moving in the right direction if I'm tired and I'm fatigued. But it's, mm-hmm. sometimes it's okay to feel fatigue because you're, going, you're working. Absolutely. And change is not easy. Because, again, you are pushing your boundaries. You're pushing yourself past your recognized limits. So, 
again, the emotional fatigue that can come with that is oftentimes or can be perceived as I'm not maybe I'm not moving in the right direction, maybe I'm working a little too hard at this. Is this right for me? You start to second guess yourself. Mm. So that might tie into the second question would be are you being honest with yourself? I love this one. I have said from the beginning of my practice 15 years ago that the hardest thing that a human being will have to do in their lifetime is sit in the seat of honesty. Are you being honest and in alignment with your highest per- with your higher purpose? Are you being honest with yourself? Because oftentimes we tell ourselves little stories that fit the situation in the moment instead of really, again, working and putting in the effort to move past that to live a truer existence, one that resonates with the integrity of your soul. Mm. And like you said, that's probably we're probably the hardest, most difficult person to be honest with is ourselves. Absolutely. I always say to patients, you know, when I, I do an intake at the beginning of my session, and there, they, they, especially for a new patient, because they will kind of sit and tell you what they think you would like to hear. Mm-hmm. And the body doesn't lie. As soon as they get on that table and we start the treatment, there's a whole world of issues that, that come out because the body doesn't lie. We, we can lie to ourselves. We can play victim. We can sit in that role of complacency but it doesn't serve our highest interest. And the body oftentimes, if you don't, if you're not in alignment with your truer and higher self, it will manifest in a physical form, like a dis- state of disease or pain or something of that nature. Mm, excellent. And I guess that a way to know if we're being honest with ourselves, because sometimes it's hard, it's hard to tell, am I being honest with myself? I'm trying, I'm putting in the effort, I'm doing my work. But a way, another question to ask yourself would be, Am I where I'm at because of fear? And this is one of my favorite topics because, like you said, we do things a lot out of fear. So to ask yourself, am I here because of financial, I'm scared of financial loss? Am I scared of loneliness or am I scared of being judged? If I make a change, who and how many people are going to say I'm making a mistake? Yeah, and that is such an excellent point because, again, they are all re- they all carry a retracting energy. It's a downward ve- vector. It is you know not expanding your boundaries because of something external to you, instead of working with something that's in alignment with you. You know finances, judgment. Oftentimes they're everything that represents outside factors, mm-hmm. instead of really sitting down and looking at what's in your highest good. Because decisions we make sometimes may affect other people. So it might be, or other people might also look at us and the changes we're making, and it might cause them to look inward, and it might stir some feelings up from themselves. Absolutely. Another question I know we've talked about in the past is, are you trying to control your situation, or maybe trying to control how others react to your situation instead of trusting in yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, we have such a need for control because I think we currently are living in a world and in a society where we feel sometimes like we have no control. So we try to really maintain a sense of control over the things that are in our direct and immediate world. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we make decisions 
out of our need to control what we can essentially or what we feel like we can control in our lives. Mm. I guess another basic question that we'd ask ourselves is, are we happy? We can be scared, we can be nervous, we can be stressed, but there, is there inner happiness knowing that we're, we're moving in the right direction and that the work we're putting in will be worth it and we'll be in a better, better place at the end of this change? Absolutely. I think fundamentally it is our soul's quest to just find love and be happy. So when we are off course, that's when we start to um, not really feel good in our own skin, I guess you could say. That is a really important question when sitting down and understanding that you're maybe moving through a transition. Am I happy? Is this situation bringing me happiness? Or does it have the potential, if I do the work, to bring me happiness? Excellent questions. So one question that I know you've asked me before, and I'm going to ask you, are you living a life that is less than great? Well, I certainly hope I'm not at this point. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> you know, that was a, that's a very key question. Uh, my brother used to always say this, you know, Cor, are you are you living any day less than great? And although sometimes we may feel like we are certainly not sitting in the seat of greatness because of personal situations, I think it's important to realize that you can still live great under the given situation. You know, are you doing your best is really what that question is saying. Are you living your best day today? Are you making the decisions that are going to propel you in an area of growth. Because it's today, sometimes we can get overwhelmed by looking at our whole life and our whole, the whole chapter we're living right now, but to focus in on the day, that's really all we have control of is the day, the that's moment. The moment, yeah. And it's the power, really, of, of the moment. It's the power of now. And understanding that, you know, the things in the past that you cannot change, we worry about the things in the future that haven't happened yet, and we really forget about the moment. Like, what is your moment saying? What is speaking to you in this mm-hmm. very moment? What's resonating with you? You know, who are the people that contribute to your life and, and add to your life? What situations, again, help lend power for you and, and fuel you up? Okay. So I guess we both have practices. Maybe we can talk a little bit about signs that we've noticed, that we, we can tell that the people we're working with are going through a transition, they're beginning a transition, and what maybe physical health signs that we can look for to go, you know, something's, something's changing here and maybe I'm resisting it or fighting it. I know one that we've touched on is energy, like noticing that your energy's low and you're tired and you're wondering why, why am I so tired? But to recognize, like you said, that a change, whether it's a small change or a life change, a huge life change, that it's going to take some energy, some physical energy or mental or emotional energy. Do you find that in your practice, like that you, when you watch people going through life changes, whether it's moving, changing a job, or maybe it's separating from somebody or going through a change in a friendship, that energy levels, do they always change? I absolutely believe they change. I see it every day in my practice. I see it through the program. They ebb and flow. 
And sometimes the change actually gives them energy. It you know it infuses energy because it's 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 li- it's lively. It's full of vitality. Um, but oftentimes as well, like we talked about earlier, you can experience low energy moments because it's requiring energy to move past the barrier and the boundary of your self-limits. So that is kind of a spectrum, and there's a polarity there where you go from you know lower energy, depending on the nature of the change as well. Oftentimes, if it's an exciting change and like a new job, there might be a little anxiety about the unknown, but uh, an excitement, a sense of excitement that really infuses you in, with energy. And you look at the opposite of that, you may be going through a transition in your relationship. You may be ending a relationship. And with that, of course, you know there may be happiness through this pain segment, but you have to go through the pain segment. And that pain can really, you know, take away and draw on your energy and and give you the fatigue and the mental exhaustion. And that spiritual low that oftentimes people will feel when the changes are are temporarily um, at a low point. Mm, and how important is it to, when we get those lows, like spiritual lows, like you've mentioned, not to run from them? I think it's extremely important because oftentimes they are your greatest teaching moments. You know, mm. what, retreating, again, that retraction energy. When you retreat, you're really running away from a learning opportunity. That is where you will face your greatest self. That is where you will learn the most about yourself. It's easy to function when everything is positive and good. Who are you in the bad times? What is the nature of the relationship that you have fostered with yourself? That is the truest moment of self. Excellent. Very, very nicely put. Well, that was very nicely put. Um, Mm -hmm. Glenna, so... uh, so this in, in summary don't run away from your spiritual um even if even if it's even if you're tired uh that's not necessarily a bad thing don't run away from your spiritual challenge exactly and, and there's value in transition there's there's lots of value in transition okay well so uh thank you so much for sharing that clip with us we're going to take another short musical break and then we'll be back with um uh, our next clip That was Nicholas Breeze Wood and his work called Water. And I, I, it's kind of an interesting and eerie song that brings um, the notion that everything is fluid 
and spirit can show up in the most mysterious of places if we give it the opportunity. And talking about um, mysterious spirits showing up, we have Dr. Robin Lisney <laughs> with us to share a clip from her show, uh, Evolve. Um, and I, I apologize for, A, mispronouncing your last name when I first introduced you, Robin, and oh, B, neglect, right. neglecting to inform folks that you do have a Ph.D. and are quite an accomplished author. So tell us a little yeah. bit about, more about your background. Well, um, I have uh, five books that I've produced myself, and then I've also published other people's books. But uh, my first book was called Dancing Up the Moon, and it was a women's guide to creating traditions that bring sacredness to daily life. It was published by Canary Press. And then uh, they did a second book called Sacred Living, uh, which is a daily guide, and Living a Sacred Life was the paperback version of that. And that was 365 Meditations and Celebrations. Mm. And that book uh, that book uh, did well. Both of them did pretty well. Um, uh, they were published in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then I came out with Heart Pass, Handbook, or Heart Pass um, Learning to Love Yourself and Listening to Your Guides. And then my latest book is Heart Path Handbook, which is an energy medicine guide for therapists and healers. And that's what I do in my private practice is I have, I do a lot of energy medicine. I'm a medium and intuitive, and I channel my guides and help people understand the big questions when they're facing major life transitions. Mm. Um, my last, okay. last book is uh, called Poems for the Lost Deer, and that's a poetry book that I just finished um, and that's about an incident that occurred in Marin County uh, in 2007 and 8 when um, a whole uh, herd, actually, of deer, axis and fallow deer, two herds, uh, were eliminated by the Park Service as invasive species. And um, those, those deer in legend, it's, it's like the biggest crime you can imagine to kill white deer, and many of the deer were white. Um, and they weren't albino, they were naturally white deer. Mm. And so I bring that out in the poetry book and talk about the significance of them uh, for myself personally and then bring in voices of many, many, many other people who are also who also love the deer. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so I've had a great time on Evolve, I have to say, even, even with my uh, technophobe, technophobic, <laughs> technophobic. <laughs> um, uh, lack of abilities and and high C has been one of my guides uh, with the from the four original four that started Firefly Willows. So uh, I just want to thank him publicly because he's been like a little guiding light for me. <laughs> oh, high C, how worry. sweet! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he brought me into Firefly Willows, so I'm I'm just delighted that um, to be a part of it, and I learned so much interviewing the guests. It's been just such a trip for me to uh, get to, you know, interview people that I've wanted to have deep conversations with and we we don't in passing or somebody that I've admired for a long time or whose book I have and I call them up and say, hey, you know, would you like to be on my radio show? And uh, that's been really interesting for me to go to people's houses or to do it you know, in the studio. It's been have them come for lunch. And so I've made it um, part of my once-a-month social endeavor. <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's fun. 
yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun. So I've had a great time. Okay, so yeah. real quick, introduce um, this clip that we're going to play with Patricia White Buffalo. Yeah, so uh, just to set it up a little bit, Patricia White Buffalo uh, does shamanic work, and she does shamanic healing, and she's uh, got programs all over the world. She has them in Europe, and she does them out here in California, New York, and all over. And um, uh, we were talking about the significance of experiencing uh, a transformation, that transformations don't happen in your head. And so that's the setup for this particular piece and it's one of my favorite pieces because it, it felt like the future of psychotherapy unfolding in the moment so that was <laughs> sounds great yeah. all right let's let's give it a listen well i think when you're doing experiential work you know where you're you're giving them an experience of themselves and guiding them into areas in their own reality Um, it has to be that way because if you get too rule-bound, then it becomes the psychoanalysis instead of a shamanic journey. It it becomes, you know, you can go in a thousand directions. You know, I could talk about the heart garden from a psychological perspective for hours, but it doesn't do them any good unless they actually have an experience of it. And when they have the experience of it, that's where things start to shift and move and people actually... um, can make transformations in their lives. They can't make them if they don't have an experience. I, I think our whole academic system has kind of gotten off the beam with that too because it's always talking about something. It's not actually experiencing it unless you're like in archaeology or something where you have to go do a dig. But but so much, uh, or music or the arts where you're actually making things and you're creating things, um, I think that, that what we're needing are more um, more experiential ways of teaching so that people have their own experience. And, and I really feel like this is the future here. So so when you take people on a journey, you, you're usually drumming. Is that how you do it? Yeah, or drumming or rattling and chanting, yeah. Uh-huh. And I just want to get back to what you said. I felt that's so true with uh, because to me, uh, when... When you're really doing healing work, uh, when you really want to heal somebody or, you know, bring them an experience, especially if if you're working with that early uh, child developmental work where you you really want to bring somebody an experience they didn't receive. Right. Okay. um, Then um, you have to take them into an altered state and you have to have something new happen. Okay. And nothing new is going to happen if you in their mind and they're uh, not into an altered state and allowing uh, to be able to 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 download something uh experience something new mm-hmm. and that's what's so powerful about shamanism that that uh, it really takes being in an altered state of consciousness because it's been proven that as children we were in altered state mm-hmm. we were we were in altered states and and most of our wounding happened in altered states, okay? And you can't reprogram the subconscious, which is, you know, pretty much ruling most of our, our time mm-hmm. in our life. Right. You can't um, heal or trans. you can't change your subconscious without going into an altered state. Mm-hmm. So uh, altered states, you need to go into an altered state, and shamanism is so right for that. Exactly. It takes you into an altered state, and then 
it gives you an experience in that altered state. Mm-hmm. And in that altered state, you're able to influence the subconscious mind. Right. Yeah. Something new then now is implanted. Right. In the cells, in the mind. There was a study, it was written in the Time magazine, that states that the mind knows uh, no difference between an experience that it experiences in this present reality nor in an altered reality. Mm-hmm. It will register it as experiencing it, mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that there just right proves that. So if I can take you into an altered state, if I can take you into a shamanic state, take you on a journey, and give you an experience that you never had, but you really need it, developmentally, you really need to feel the love of the father mm-hmm. or the love of the mother. And I call in the grandmothers, or I call in the spiritual grandfathers. Mm. And I have them gather around you and hold you and praise you. And you could really take that in. And then that is going to be part of your cellular I have an international program. It's going to be part of you. Right. It, you it becomes part of your like cellular memory. Exactly. Once you have that memory, you, you actually receive something you might not have gotten yes. in your childhood. And yeah. shamanism is a wonderful way of, and that's what we do in my program, mm-hmm. of, uh, of healing in that way. Well, that's, that's, a very powerful, uh, that's a very powerful piece right there. What, what, I just th- what I just got out of that piece was that, um, you know, when you're a little kid, you often want to be in an altered state. Um, and we, oh, and we, you know, you spin around to get dizzy so that you can be dizzy and have that altered state. And, and as we get older, we continue to seek uh, these transcendent states. And maybe it's because that's where we know we can access the wounding that occurred when we were little kids in altered states. So, I th- Robin, yeah, I thought that was a really powerful clip. Well, I think that, that what, one of the things that Patricia brought up was from that Time Magazine article was that that we are naturally in an altered state as a child because we're mm. in a developmental state. Right, And that's yeah. when the wounding occurs for us. And so then when we become adults, we have to re-enter that experiential uh, state again, uh, uh, that, uh, that altered state of consciousness. And we can do it through shamanism. We can do it through the heart. We can't necessarily do it through thinking about it, you know, or right. analyzing it. And right, that's absolutely. Been a, that's been a huge, I think, um, learning. That's a, that's the next learning phase for psychotherapy. A lot of people know that already. I mean, a lot of psychotherapists, certainly somatic therapies, uh, body-oriented psychotherapies, they really do help shift people subconsciously. And there's many, many, many forms that are, that are emerging right now that are mm. pretty interesting. Right. Yeah. So, Robin, your yeah. show your show is on on Thursdays at what time? The, the, what, at sorry, two, what? It, yes, the third Thursday at two p.m. And uh, I have all kinds of people interested in evolution. So, one of the things my favorite topics is consciousness through the arts. So, how do the arts bring us more awareness? Poetry, music, dance. Mm, um, right. How does you know how do visual arts help us? To evolve, and and then I interview people that are doing active healing work through uh, shamanism and conscious studies and things like that. So, and, yeah, so that's it's, a good, the, it's that's, a fun show. Yeah, that's the third Thursday at two p.m. Pacific time. Right. All right, and um, 
Mildred Lynn, uh, you reminded me that it might be useful for us to share um, more of this, the channel schedule. Uh, and uh, so share with us, because uh, I, I don't, um, you're, the show with Dr. Glenna is on, is, is also on Thursday? Yeah, um, Glenna's show is 6 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time, and that would be 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I also wanted to show with, share with our listeners that Glenna, Dr. Glenna is a naturopathic doctor, very inter- interested in holistic medicine, interviewing people in that whole realm, and she's also a mom to two little ones. So right. what's unique about her show is that she presents her information on a very practical level, a, a mothering level, and as a highly qualified and recognized health professional in Canada. So, and so once again, her show was on Thursdays, the first, the first Thursday th- of the month. Yeah, right. first Thursday of the month at 6 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time. It's done out of Nova Scotia or 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Great. Great. And it's and I'd, I'd love to talk to her. Let's <laughs> have her on my show. <laughs> Glenn is a wonderful person. And yeah. her, her show, once again, it's called What's Your Prescription for Balance? In the original episode, Glenna and I co-host it, and now Glenna is doing the show completely by herself. So wow. it's fabulous. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And hi, C, we have a clip from your show coming up, uh, the, your Revolution show. Um, but uh, Amethyst Historical is on Tuesdays, right? It's on the second the Tuesday second, of the month? Yeah, it's the second Tuesday of each month at 8 p.m. Pacific. Mm, okay, great. All right, so um, tell us about this clip that you have from Revolution. Uh, yeah, so this is from my other show called Revolution, which is on the second Sundays of each month at 10.30 a.m. And this is a clip with uh, Yeshe Rabbit, uh, who is founder and high priestess of Kaya Coven, which is a, a rather large San Francisco Bay Area collective of um, spiritual and magical people. And she also is the owner of a store in Oakland, California called The Sacred Well. And our conversation was, it actually originally aired in December, shortly before the holidays, and it was revolving around the topic of offerings and sacrifice. And we really wanted to explore that topic and unpack it a bit to see what it means outside of the realm of just the holidays and stressing about getting to a crowded store in order to buy a present of the latest thing that somebody either has asked for or you think you're supposed to give to them versus what the true nature of offerings and then what the difference is between offerings and sacrifice um, kind of means because sometimes people see those things interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they see one as having to entail the other, but um, I think in our conversation we really um, explored how they're, they're two separate entities and you approach them very differently. All right. Well, let's give that a listen. One of the precepts that comes up very frequently in my Buddhist training and has appeared in other magical areas of my life will be that when we're talking about giving mantra or recitation of particular chants, to a deity as a gift, as an empowerment, as an offering. It said, you know, chant this 108 times. If you can't chant it 108 times, chant it 64 times. 
If you can't chant it 64 times, chant it 32 times. If you can't chant it 32 times, chant it 16 times. If you can't manage to even chant it 16 times, chant it once, but chant it well. And that's, to me, the essence of offering, is that regardless of however humble the offering nor how elaborate the offering, you know, either way, neither is more or less important. They each have their place, but it's the manner in which it's given that gives it that mana or that power, that chi, that that sense of the divine communion. It is not by the amount that giving is productive of reward, but rather by the generous impulse behind it. Even so little as a handful of ripe flour given with a pure heart becomes something that will bring great reward. So I see. Was there was there more to that clip? Mm, there was. I thought that there should have been, but alas, if not, then I guess that's oh. what we needed to hear today. <laughs> I guess that's what we needed to hear. Uh, I uh, apologize for uh, our technical difficulty in the studio, um, but nonetheless, uh, we shall proceed um, with a, uh, a a short break. Um, now, remember, uh, listeners, if you would like to uh, find out more about the shows uh, that are on Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, you can connect to us via our Facebook page, fire, uh, facebook.com slash Firefly Willows, uh, and we have our show announcements there, and you can also join our mailing list. Um, and Hi-C, how, how, what's the best way for them to join our mailing list? Uh, best way is they can... Go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fireflywillows and either send us a message or leave a comment. Uh, probably better to send us a message from there. Um, let us know what email address and that you'd like to be added, and we will be happy to do that. Right. Okay. Short musical break, and we'll be right back. Stephen McNamara 
and his uh, an excerpt from his song Bittersweet. Uh, I loved having Stephen on Spirit Muse and, and Song. Uh, fascinating conversation about um, the power of the Indian ragas, um, and that was uh, another very illuminating experience. So um, up next, uh, I have something that I want to share from Convergence, which is uh, I think of it as my monthly radio magazine, uh, exploring the the interface or the the interplay between science and mysticism using a shamanic lens and you know timely for this for this season uh it's about flowering and bearing fruit and understanding both both intimately and metaphorically what's the difference exploring reality flowering and bearing fruit So I'm in this very interesting time in my life right now. I'm doing things that are much different from what I've done for most of my career. This radio show, for example, and my other show, A Shamanic Life. Doing talks at the local metaphysical bookstore. Doing readings at psychic fairs. Doing yoga and qigong and learning their esoteric effects. And writing. And spending considerable time and effort trying to figure out my place in the sun. Where am I going to thrive? What will I do that will sustain me? Well, honestly, I don't know yet. I think, though, that I got a bit of a lesson on this topic just the other day. I'm studying the medicine of plants with Daniel Four of the Earth Medicine Alliance. This is his year-long program of... <laughs> getting to know our green-blooded relatives, as he says. Our first assignment was to choose a domesticated plant, a food plant, and get to know it shamanically. I chose peppers. I love to grow them in my garden. I love to roast them on my grill. So we did an exercise in our last meeting. Journey to the spirit of the plant and invite the spirit of those ancestors who first domesticated the plant to join me. The point was to learn a ritual that would honor the plant's place in the sun back before it was domesticated. To honor its willingness to be domesticated but to connect back to its wild origins. Okay, I thought, this is an interesting assignment. But that's not quite what I encountered. I entered the shamanic journey, found myself sitting in my vegetable garden in a lawn chair next to my pepper plants. And an indigenous fellow joined me. Dressed for the jungle, he wore just a loincloth and some face paint. The sun was warm. The peppers were green and healthy. We looked at them. He caught my eye and encouraged me to look again. There were no fruit on the peppers. Flowers but no fruit. Huh. Nothing else happened in that journey, which made me wonder, what was the message? I contemplated flowers, and I contemplated fruit. They're different. They're both exciting, and they're both delightful, but they're different. 
and I began to wonder if there was a message in this experience for me at this moment in my life. Anybody who knows me well knows that I love my fruit trees and my vegetable garden. I love the harvest and I love the experience of the trees and plants that are so willing to be so generous. But before you can bear fruit, you have to flower. In truth, I also love the blossoming. It's a shorter experience. It's more fleeting usually and definitely less earth element, less pentacles, and more, what, air, fire maybe? Honestly, I've never really attended to that experience metaphysically, you know, flowering. And here in ordinary reality, I've always attended to the fruit, embraced the care and tending of the fruit through its cycle of development and ripening. The flowering was always nice, beautiful, fleeting, but not a place where I'd spend idle time or meditative time. This journey compelled me to stop and feel into this behavior. Here's what I've been discovering. Flowering is a time of vulnerability. It's a time of offering oneself without knowing whether you'll be accepted. The masculine anthers in the flower offer their pollen to the wind and the bees. And the feminine pistil waits in its plant-like receptive manner for pollen to arrive and fertilize the plant and create the fruit and the seeds. And the plants use color, exuberant color, and captivating scent to attract the pollinators. It's an expression of openness, an expression of beauty and desire and yearning, really, without any guarantees. And flowers are often so delicate. Too much rain or not enough warmth, and the bees don't come out, and the pollen doesn't fly, and the blossoms molder and wilt. And that expression of beauty and desire and yearning goes unfulfilled. And there's no fruit, no harvest. So as a metaphor for living our lives, is there a time for flowering? There must be. Before we can bear our most beautiful fruit, we must take the time to flower. What's it like to flower? Well, as I've been thinking about it, I think it's maybe the time when we dance naked in the moonlight, singing whatever song comes through our hearts. I think it's when we give ourselves to a process or a project or a way of being simply because it feels like it's the right thing, the tender, nurturing, true and beautiful thing to do. I think it's when we give ourselves permission to be to be vulnerable and beautiful and loved in our yearning and desire to be vulnerable and beautiful and loved without knowing whether our desire will be fulfilled. We wait to receive 
and to be received. That's a scary thing to flower. I think of all the ways that plants flower, offering themselves. What if a plant flowers all by itself, far away from any of its community? The lonely flower, dancing in the moonlight, yearning for connection. Is that sad? Melancholy? A tragedy? Perhaps. It seems so to me. But also, perhaps, it can be appreciated simply for the beauty and earnestness and joy that comes from self-expression. There's a part of me that hasn't quite come to grips with the idea of flowering just for the sake of flowering. I think the message from my journey is that I'd be better off, maybe, if I could. When I sat with that indigenous man, looking at the pepper plant and its flowers, I sensed no impatience from him, no need to see the fruit set or to count on the harvest. Perhaps there's a sense of trust that is missing for me. As I contemplate what I'm doing, is it that I can't quite give myself unreservedly to these things? That I can't quite strip completely naked in that moonlight? That I have to have some assurance that the song I might sing will be heard? That there will be coins tossed in the hat? What would happen if I really just gave in and let myself flower? It's scary. Here's the thing, though. When you've cultivated the soil and checked the wind and noticed that there are bees around, in other words, when you've taken the time to set yourself up for success, then the only thing left to do is flower. And at some point, worrying about the bees and the soil and the rain, which you can only do so much about anyway, takes energy away from the flowering. Anxiety, fear, attachment to outcome, I don't think they're compatible with real, perfect, unconditional flowering. And that, my friends, is likely to diminish one's harvest. So, I'm game to try flowering. I think. So we're back. Uh, I see. I I do believe we have um, found the correct file for sharing the segment that uh, you had encouraged us to share. So we're going to go right back to that. And this, again, is from your show, Revolution. Uh, 
Uh, and it's with uh, Yesha Rabbit talking about uh, offerings and sacrifice. So we're going to go to that now. Okay. Make a sacred offering to the gods of infinitesimal detail. We return to our conversation with Yeshe Rabbit. It's really about setting aside room for special, whatever level of special that is. And in that, I also think that human beings can honor the divine through giving that set aside something special to each other. If part of my practice, which it is, is to honor the divine in each being, then sometimes my offering might not be to sit at my altar. Sometimes my offering might be to sit and listen to an elderly woman tell her stories about her life that nobody else is listening to because society has shunted her away and decided that she's no longer valuable because she's no longer sexualized. And my offering to the crone goddess is to sit before this human woman and just have patience for her to tell me her stories or the truths that she holds dear. I think about this one song that I've written which is my shaman song, and it is a song that has never been written down, and I won't allow it to be written down. I don't write any of the words. I don't have the words written down anywhere. When I sing that song, it is for a specific purpose, and everyone who hears that song in the vicinity is given an opportunity to witness and partake of the offering that I'm giving in the unseen world by listening to that song. And so it's important to me that it not get written down. It's important to me that those words don't get trapped on a piece of paper somewhere, even if it was with good intention to write it on the piece of paper and then just hang it above the altar so that it was always there, right? But that's not the point. The giver acquires the greatest merit when a person is motivated by a wish to attain enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings. A gift made with a very pure motivation to a needy person is exalted because without them, we would not have the opportunity to practice giving. Making a modest gift with an exalted motivation to a needy person is far greater than one made with a poor motivation to a deity. And I think in what you've just talked about there, for me, probably would describe the essence of what offering is, especially compared to gift, if we want to play semantics. And offering is when what we are giving is done selflessly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in selflessness, because what you are describing, you're doing it for the benefit of all beings. Yeah. You're not offering just for your own enlightenment just for your own benefit, just for your own whatever you might be asking for in order to get back. You're offering simply to offer because you know that it is for the all, which ultimately then also becomes for the gods as well. 
Offering is an action which is spontaneous, natural, and bountiful. The minute we get too focused on the manner of offering and the going through the motions, especially if it gets to the point where going through the motions no longer makes our heart leap with the innocent joy of giving, that's when we've turned our offering into more of like a social gift. What question would you like to pose to the next guest that will be on? What do you need to forgive yourself for? What do you need to forgive yourself for? What do you need to forgive yourself for? At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest. Or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. And we're back. This is the Firefly Willows L-I-V-E second anniversary show. And we've been uh, sharing and reviewing some content from our shows for the last two years. I see that that share um, the segment with with you and Yesha Rabbit. Um, It's very sweet. Uh, You know, the idea that a, a humble, modest gift to a poor person is better than a very big and profound and um, rich gift to a deity. It's just, it's so warming. Well, yes. And I think even if it's not to a deity, even if people don't necessarily prescribe to that belief system, um, you know, I think that making somebody who is on a limited income but still makes a $25 donation to the local food bank is more of an offering than the person who has $3 billion and just kind of without even knowing it or thinking about it, writes a check to a charity for the tax write-off more so than because they want to truly give something. Um, And so I think that to me that was kind of that underlying understanding of what she was talking about there is offerings really are coming from the heart and don't have to be big or grand gestures um, or cost a lot uh, in terms of monetary cost or that kind of thing, uh, as long as they are done with sincerity and with authenticity and uh, are being done simply to offer with no expectation or with nothing in mind about any sort of reciprocation as a result of doing the giving. No, I mean, it might be interesting for us to have a roundtable on on the topic, um, uh, because what what strikes me is why why is that better? What what is the transformative 
power that comes from a heartfelt offering instead of, uh, even if it's small, because it, that doesn't seem to change the world very much, you know. Uh, and yet, it may, for some but reason, it may, it's more powerful. But I think... But I think that's the mistake is we don't have to try to do something that changes the world because that small offering may change the world of that one person. Mm, right, right. Even in that so, moment. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go now to a contribution from Mildred Lynn uh, from uh, Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn. Uh, and, it is a, and it is a roundtable. Mildred Lynn, you want to uh, tee up this, this clip for us? Sure, John. And the reason that I chose a roundtable is that I'm by nature very inclusive. So I wanted to make sure that our listeners could hear our three or four perspectives on discernment. And before we head into it, I wanted to share that discernment is the ability to grasp or comprehend people, things, situations clearly and intelligently. And the reason I chose this particular round table is because I found in my experience that we're all, or many of us, are too willing to give the power of our discernment or our filter to external voices. Mm. So the key question here to keep in mind as our listeners are, are enjoying the segment is to really look at what are your trusted sources of information? Where do you get your information? Why mm. do you trust this source? <laughs> How do you discern what is truth and what is, it, what is not truth? And also, if you're not listening to your inner voice, your inner compass, why aren't you doing that and what are you listening to? So that's why I chose this particular one and I loved the perspectives that you offered and hi offered and Deb offered for this particular segment. All right, let's give it a listen. Welcome, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, your host for Healing Conversations. And we have a very intriguing topic for our roundtable. I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, John Carousella. Good morning. Deb Carousella. Good morning. And Heisey Ludemers. Hello. I'd like to throw out to John and Deb and Heisey, a question about discernment and invite them to share with us where they get their information, what is their trusted source of information or trusted sources of information, and what characteristics, why is this a trusted source of information? So anybody want to jump right in there? Uh, You know, Mildred Lynn, this is an interesting interesting problem or dilemma for people today. And what makes it really complex is the fact that the internet is such a huge source of information. There's so much accessible through the internet. You know, it used to be we'd have our three major television channels and the New York Times and your local newspaper. And that's where we got our information. But that's not not true anymore. The diversity of sources of information has exploded. Primarily, it's accessible through the internet and the ownership of the traditional media sources has been consolidating more and more. So there's fewer and fewer independent voices in traditional media, and there's more and more recirculation of content that happens over the Internet. You know, I have a lot of opinions, and I I have an activist bent, and I want to share important things with the folks who are connected to me. So I find that I, I feel obligated to not just take 
an, an issue and post it and share it. But go back to the original source materials before I do that. I, I, you know, I feel like you have to actually not take what some blogger said as true, not take what some, some promotional site or some cause site has said to be true, but actually look at what they're saying. Find out the source. Go read the legislation, for example. Well, that sounds like fun, John. It's not fun. It's not fun. <laughs> it's a drag, right? But see, this is what happens is mm-hmm. if you don't do that, you run the risk of absorbing information that is really based on other people's opinions and other people's agendas. You know, the media is no longer about providing information. The media is about generating profit. You know, news organizations, investigative reporting has been so slashed and dumbed down. And now it's all about can you capture the readers to pay the advertise to, to make it worth the advertiser's money? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's become a profit instrument. It's no longer an institution that's trying to serve. So, John, if I was to ask you, what is your trusted source? And where do you go to get your information? You, you shared that you go to... You dig down as deep as you can, right? And you're not afraid to go to the legislation. No, right. So, so the so the the vehicle is generally speaking is the internet, mm-hmm. right? But there's no single source on the internet that is reliable. So, I mean, the Huffington Post is something that I get their news feed. You know, I watch the Daily Show because he's John Stewart has always got some contemporary topic that uh, is relevant and i have you know i have my uh my newsletters that i receive about organic foods and uh, you know human rights and things like that and there are some some things that i trust like i trust amnesty international i have a, such a strong bias in favor of organic foods that i don't really need to do primary research on the value of organics but when, when there's an issue related to legislation about organics, I feel like I have to go find, you know, get closer to the source material. Or if, or if, a, if a, legislature has said, a legislator has said something about organics, I, don't, I can't just take somebody's word for it that, you know, what they meant and what they said is being represented fairly. I have to actually go listen myself. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Now, Deb, I know you have a different take on this question. Most of the time, if anything major is going on, I learn of it from friends and from family. And at one point, that meant someone would call me on the phone or I would get an email from someone. Or, But right now, most of my information comes through Facebook or text messaging or something like that. Or someone, email, yeah. Or email. Someone will send me something specific saying, oh, did you hear about, or someone posts something on Facebook about a current event or something that's going on in the media or something that's happening locally in their area, and then I get intrigued or I get involved about wanting to know more about that particular issue, and I might do a Google search on it. I might want to say, you know, it's like, oh, well, something happened in such and such a place. What was that thing that happened? And I'll do a Google search. And then, of course, when you do a Google search, multiple streams of information come up. And I will click through them and see, well, well, this is talking about it from this perspective. That's talking about this particular thing from this perspective. These guys are talking about it, but they're, in my opinion, way, way, way off the wall kind of attitude on it. And I'm not really interested in that. 
So I do some discernment and some choosing on a very surface level. And most of the time I'm satisfied with that level of investiture in what's happening in what's going on and, and how I feel about it. And then I have a tendency to let it go and I move on with my life. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an excellent question and it's an excellent thing for people to think about because as John mentioned, you're bombarded with information from so many places now that understanding where you're getting the information from and who has the agenda behind it, I think is really, really important for most people. I just am one of those individuals that is very happy to stay a little bit to the sidelines. So it sounds like the amount of energy that you are interested in investing in discernment is directly proportional to the relevance of the topic in your life. Yes. Yeah. And Very well said. Yeah, and that's Yeah, that's just kinda how I how I go. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you roll. That's how I roll. <laughs> well, you? you know, that's a that's a think global, act local kind of attitude in the extreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for putting it so much more succinctly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Deb is one of my trusted sources for information because I know if I do see something from Deb on Facebook, I know her heart and her head are behind it. What about you, see? Well, I'm probably very different than Deb in the sense that I'm an information junkie. And so I probably subscribe to 80 to 90 blogs and, you know, check Facebook a few times a day, and then there's other websites that I look at, and I always want to make sure that I'm current on what's going on in the world. But when I do check those things, I try to make sure that I don't just have things that represent one particular perspective or bias or belief system um, versus even if it's opposite of what my particular belief or Um, stance might be. I try to look at or listen to things that represent the opposite perspective and viewpoint just so I can hear how other people are perceiving things and talking about things and presenting things. If I read things that are more of like an aggregate kind of place like Huffington Post or Gawker, which is really just a report on somebody else's report on something, I will read that to see what maybe is a current topic or issue that's going on, but then I'll try to seek out the source places. So if they say that a particular person said something on their talk show, you know, they may just quote one line or put their particular spin on it, but then I'll go to that person's talk show, even if it's somebody that's very much different than what I might stand for. And will try to either look at what they've posted on their website or try to listen to an audio um, portion that has that, what they said in it, but try to hear it in the context they said it because so much gets taken and either edited or taken out of context and then a controversy is made around it when if you listen to the whole thing, it's kind of like, well, it's pretty obvious that's not really what they meant. And sometimes it is, and you're just like, wow, I can't believe they said that. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I try to make sure I've at least explored the different perspectives. I also watch and listen to news programs from other countries, particularly France for me, but also other places, because hearing that outside perspective is very interesting, both the approach they take or perspective they have on a particular story, as well as, especially if it's something that involves America, their perspective on America and America's involvement in it can be very different than what we tend to get, even what we think is the most neutral sources in our country, you still realize there's a there, there's an underlying, oftentimes, nationalistic or patriotic kind of current that just feeds into being from someplace. So I try to just make sure I'm taking it in from many perspectives and then forming, for, for me, like in Buddhism, you have what's called the middle path. You don't go to extremes on either side. So I try to come to my own middle path of understanding by hearing both sides of the extreme and then coming to my own place of where is the meeting point for those two extreme perspectives, which may be closer to what the truth could be rather than one extreme side or the other really being the truth. Yeah. And you, and for me, that means not living in a bubble and only getting my source from one place or from only those people or places that represent my particular belief or perspective or, or, or standpoint, but taking in all sides so that I don't isolate my own thinking and then start to become circular in my thinking because I just get fed what I already think. And so it just reinforces thinking that way rather than being challenged in my thinking or belief. Yeah, then you start to hardwire your brain. And then right. that's all you see. Right. Now, I do have a question to throw out there. Do you perceive yourselves as a trusted source? I wouldn't necessarily have come to that conclusion about myself. Um, I, don't, I don't think of myself... Um, as a place where I'm actually trying to influence others. I do realize that there is a responsibility when one takes a stand, when one takes a point of view and puts your opinion out there for the public to then see and, and receive, that you are, in, you are being an influence. You are perhaps presenting something for others to think about. From, I usually come from a place of this is something that I found of interest. This is something that I have found moved me. And I hope that maybe others would be also interested and moved to find out more about it. What about you, John, or High C? Do you guys view yourselves as a trusted source? I do. One, because... I feel like I do make the attempt to get all of those various perspectives on something rather than only just from one particular perspective or source. To even when I post things like on Facebook, now somebody could probably see what issues and things are important to me based on the kinds of stories and things that I post on Facebook, but I will post them without comment. So I don't try to color someone's thinking or perception versus I just post the story and then allow them to come to their own understanding, conclusion, perspective on that particular issue or story themselves rather than me having colored it 
with biased language or influential language, you know, can you believe this stupid person says that it is And <laughs> even that can immediately bias someone before they read the story that already this person's going to be stupid. So I'm going to read it from that way. And I, so I don't put commentary on it. Finally, I also do trust myself as a source because for me, the ultimate filter is my own intuition. So whenever I hear something or read something, I always go to how does that feel for me or how does that resonate for me? And regardless of whether it would be somebody that I would normally agree with or not, if it doesn't feel right, then I'm not afraid to say I'm not in agreement with that. I don't have to be in agreement with that just because normally we we see the same way. So filtering it through my own intuition, I think also makes it or, or makes me a, a trusted source simply because I'm only putting information out there that I feel has resonated for me on a deeper level as feeling like it's truth or truthful rather than just parroting or mimicking what somebody else has said or told me to believe or standpoint to take on a particular issue. Yeah, that's great, Heisey. I know I always read what you post because I know you go through rigor. You go through an intellectual and heart-centered rigor before you put anything out there. So thank you for doing that. And I'm sure many other people read what you put out there too. How about you, John? I think I'm getting better at being a trusted source. It wasn't that long ago that I would just rail against topics and I would fall into the the rhetoric grinder and I don't actually think that that's as helpful as when I post with questions, with invitations for people to get involved. Um, you know, I still I still do take positions. Uh, unlike I see, I will post with with a position, and normally I try to make sure that the position is defensible based on some primary research. Uh, but you know, there's a, there's an interesting question here, which is. A trusted source for what? You can trust that I will bring issues to your attention that I feel strongly about. You can trust that there's a reason that I feel strongly about them. <laughs> Whether I'm right is you know, not something I can guarantee, but it is something that I, it usually is something that I feel strongly about. In a way, any, everybody is a trusted source for the things that they for the nature of the person that they are, right? Most folks will post in a way that reflects who they are. So the better you know them, the more you can understand and discern how to receive what they're sharing. On that note, I feel that we have a wonderful opportunity to continue our conversation on a later show. And online. And online. Excellent idea. So if anybody would like to talk about this a little bit more, please go to the Firefly Willows Live page on Facebook. John will be there. <laughs> and I'd like to thank John and Deb and Hi C for showing up today for our roundtable. And I hope that you enjoy the show that's coming up. So 
that was from Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn, our roundtable. I just want to let our listeners know that in about 40 seconds or so, we're going to be hopping from our live feed into the archives. But do come back and stay with us and, and give a listen because we have a great segment, uh, one last segment coming up, that, which we'll share, be sharing with you shortly. Uh, and there's much more to come. So, um, Mildred Lynn, uh, that, was a, that was a beautiful roundtable. Thanks, John. I really enjoyed that roundtable. One thing that I found is that we all have different perspectives. So it always amazes me when we do our roundtable topic that we come at it from different angles. And I think that is something that everybody can relate to, all of our listeners to, can relate to. So thank you very much. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so to, to wrap up the uh, prepared part of the show today, um, I want to share something um, from uh, A Shamanic Life. It is uh, a conversation that I had with uh, an artist, Tina Malia, uh, and some of her music. And it turns out that I, I selected this in part because I really loved her music and I loved the conversation, but she's also going to be touring in the Bay Area in April. So she'll be um, in Santa Cruz at the Pacific Cultural Center on April 18th. She'll be in San Rafael at the Showcase Theater on the 19th. That's my birthday. You can send me cards. (laughs) Uh, On the 22nd, she'll be uh, at the Casper Community Center in Casper. And on the 23rd, she'll be in Palo Alto at the Samyama Yoga Center. And on the 25th, and this is for Mildred Lynn, she'll be uh, at the Dihana Center in Sebastopol. So uh, I I know you'll enjoy her music, uh, and I I think you'll enjoy the conversation, too. Give a listen to uh, my conversation uh, with Tina Malia. And we will 
And, you know, your background is not Celtic. No. And yet this album is chock full of Celtic mystery and magic. How did you find this magic? Uh, that's a great question. I was definitely at the time reading a lot of Celtic mysticism, and I was reading uh, The Mists of Avalon with Marion Zimmer Bradley. Uh-huh, yeah. That was definitely one of the ways. And another thing was musically, I had been playing guitar, and I'd learned guitar and standard tuning, and I had gone over to Hawaii, and kind of for the first time I had heard somebody playing guitar in, in an open tuning. Mm-hmm. And... I heard this open tuning and it just had this real sort of a Celtic sound to it. And I was totally entranced. I'll never forget this moment on the top of this hillside overlooking the ocean, hearing (laughs) the open, open tuning for the first time. And I was totally hooked and I pretty much primarily write most of my music in open tuning. And I think that naturally kind of has, um, uh, particularly certain open tunings have a real Celtic sound and a Celtic feel to them. Yeah, well, they sound, so, it sounds like the lyre or the harp or something. It sounds sounds very fairy, actually. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. So that was in Hawaii when, when, you, when you discovered your Celtic muse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to make it a little more confusing. <laughs> well, I just want to touch a little bit more on your background and your heritage. Your mom was a Korean classic pianist. Correct. And your dad was an electrical engineer from Yugoslavia? Wow, you've done your homework very close. <laughs> my my dad's parents were actually from, his father was from Yugoslavia, his mother was from Agreed, well said. So I want to talk a little bit about your muse. You know, this segment is called Spirit, Muse, and Song. And it always fascinates me to um, hear other people share about how their muse works. Like, do you have a, a formal relationship with your muse where you, where you meet him or her or it um, at some spiritual place? Uh, or is your muse always riding shotgun with you, or, you know, wherever you go? <laughs> or what, what's that like for you? Your inspirations come from different places. You're, with all this diversity, you must be like um, a kid in a candy store. I think my ultimate muse always comes from the same place. And I just happen to be in different locations right, right, okay. when it happens. Yeah, sure. And um, but you know sometimes it's uh, it, I, I really love that you give the muse like this real character, like it's this person riding in my car <laughs> you never because know. it's just kind of like that sometimes. <laughs> um, you know I have a really interesting process and it's evolved and changed over the years, but um, you know sometimes I'll be just sitting casually and all of a sudden I will just hear this melody in my head and I'll have to run home and try to figure it out and catch it. It's, it's a really a lot of catching. It really is because it comes in and out. Sometimes I'll, I'll dream a whole song. I'll write an entire song in a dream and it'll just be, it'll blow my mind, you know, and mm-hmm. I wake up like just doing everything I can just to try to stay in that space and remember it. And that comes a lot of it. It's just like catching this muse and trying to, to put it down in some earthly form because it will just keep going. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Catching your muse because she's always on the run. <laughs> it's so, so you actually have come to this, I guess, accommodation with your muse that when it's speaking, you take the time to write it down. Not always, but, you know, and, no, I'll say 
say the iPhone, you know, voice memo has become very convenient for me. I know myself well enough now that I'm like, I actually won't remember that. So uh, yeah. I need to, if it's moving me enough right now that I really want to remember this, um, and then I will record it and, and you know. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of kind of goes like that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, you know, the the creative process is unique for everyone. Um, your your latest album, uh, The Lost Frontier. You've you've entered the space of some, uh, we'll say darker materials. It's not really dark. So that was my conversation with, with Tina Malia from A Shamanic Life. And uh, it's uh, such a thrill to be interacting with so many cool people uh, that as we do in uh, doing the Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. And I want to invite my, my, four, my, my three co-hosts, the four of us, to just share some, some final thoughts. Um, uh, just quick one last reminder. Tina Malia is touring uh, and she'll be in the Bay Area, the Greater Bay Area, in the middle of April. And you can find her information, information about her, her music, and her tour at tinamalia.com. So, so here we are, guys. It's been two years. What, do, what, do, what, are we, what have we learned and what are we looking forward to? Well, Feel familiar, John? <laughs> I would, I would, little space? <laughs> I would say one thing that I've learned is that there are many, many voices of wisdom and insight and teaching that are out there that don't often get the opportunity to be heard. And I've been very gratified by the fact that um, doing our show, we've been able to highlight and pull people in like that, that aren't necessarily well-known or don't necessarily have a product to be selling and don't have a book or something like that, but still just from their own personal life experience and studying, they have something very valuable to offer, and we are providing a platform and an outlet for those voices to be heard uh, rather than to just be kept quiet in the background amidst the noise of the more obvious or familiar voices um, that are often the ones that we tend to hear over and over again on different shows because they're the ones that are known or have a book that they're promoting or something like that. So that's something right. I've been very happy about. Right. Mildred Ben, how about you? Yeah, and just so our listeners know, I was teasing John a little bit earlier because when we do our round tables, there's always that moment of, 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 of quiet, space. of silence. <laughs> yeah. We edit that out, ladies and gentlemen. Just so you we know. edit that out, yes. What I'd like to share, I'd like to build on what hi C had to, to say. What I've noticed, and I'm sure other people have noticed, that when you're listening to mainstream media or watching TV or whatever, there's often a sense of urgency or being extreme or panic or you're not good enough or you have too much, all of these messages. And then they build and build and build inside of you and start to form your belief system, which basically starts to impact what you decide to give meaning to, which ultimately defines how your life unfolds or your sense of fulfillment or happiness and joy or joy. And what I've found over the last two years is by 
providing a platform for people with all different types of messages as we've seen today to be projected out there for people's consideration, it gives a sense of peace and another way of looking at things. So I alluded to earlier that over the last two years, I felt that this is very meaningful work, and I'd like to invite ourselves and our listeners and other practitioners to use their voice in a very positive and nurturing and fulfilling way to others and themselves to offer another way of looking at life. And right. that's right. what I could edit. Right. And Deb, uh, speaking of uh, finding and using your voice, what, what, what if... <laughs> Well, actually, that's. Uh, I was going to say, the, for me, over the these last two years, because I don't actually host a a show. Um, I simply provide input and um, conversation in our roundtables, and I provide the uh, continuity between the shows. I'm I'm the voice in the background. But what I've discovered for myself over these last two years is. Um, I haven't always been a particularly deep thinker. I don't really like to, I'm not a navel gazer. And so <laughs> our our roundtables have allowed me and sort of coerced me into thinking about topics and subjects that I wouldn't necessarily put a great deal of, of time and effort into. And it has um, in the and in the process of being part of the group and, and having the um, commitment to being there and present with the topics and with the rest of you, um, it has allowed me to become more comfortable and more open about how I feel about things and the expression of that. And, and it is um, not always a bad thing to express your opinion, that it, you don't have to necessarily hide how you think about something um, because everybody thinks differently, and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I know you all would love Deb to have her own show because she has very unique <laughs> perspectives. So send, send those cards and letters in and, and <laughs> you know, draft her to have her own show. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, for me, I, I, you know, what I'm looking forward to uh, for, for the next year or two or three is to see Firefly Willows L-I-V-E continue to develop and um, explore new areas. And I, I, I love the idea uh, and the vision of new shows coming online, new hosts, uh, new segments. I just like the diversity and the richness that uh, is available. And, and, you know, honestly, the ease with which we can bring this kind of material forward, because we're not doing television shows, we're not doing videos, the, it, it's, it's, in a way, it's a lot more casual. So if you're thinking about, you know, that you might have something that you'd like to share, if you're thinking uh, that you could be, uh, you can do this, right? I mean, you can contribute. Um, we encourage you to come and, and, and join us and share with us, express your interest. There is a lot to be said. There is a lot to be shared and every perspective, all the diversity that's out there um, is, is encouraged and encouraging because life is diverse. And the more we know, the more we learn, the more we share, I think the easier things are going to be. So um, any last thoughts from my 
three sweet, amazing co-hosts. Thank you, John, for putting this together. That was a big undertaking. So thank you very much. It was a a labor of love. And I just... Go ahead, Tysi. No, go ahead, Deb. I just want to say that um, it's been a blast. It's uh, there's it's been a, an incredible learning process, and it's been fun, and it's been engaging, and it's been well worth the time and effort um, and the um, the consistency that we have the four of us and our other hosts and co-hosts that have come on board this journey with us um i'm i'm thrilled to be able to say that i participate in this in this production and i just wanted to remind people where they could find us oh yes so please. you can <laughs> you can find us on facebook.com slash firefly willows or on the web at fireflywillows.com slash live and you can also find a lot of the different shows um i think that uh, Mildred, you can give where they can find your blog for Healing Conversations. Sure. www.healingconversationswithmildredlynn.com And my shows you can find on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash revolutionwithhighc and facebook.com slash theamethystorical. And John, how can people find or contact you? Well, I, I'm in the process of building websites for Convergence. This is Convergence.com. will be up uh, hopefully before the next Convergence show, which will be the third Sunday of April. So wish me luck with that. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook uh, at Facebook.com slash Firefly Willows or Facebook.com John Carousella. And all of our, uh, our, our broadcasts are also available on iTunes. Yep. Excellent. Search for Firefly Willows Live, and you can find it subscribe download all of the shows that we have so thanks guys thanks so much to our listeners and we'll we'll listen to you or we'll be with you next time thanks for joining us bye for now bye bye